Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Uh, so a couple of other quick announcements. Be sure to, to consider helping make a difference. You see we've got a bunch of boxes of coats and stuff in the back. If you've got good, good shape winter coats that you don't use anymore or blankets, we don't want any of your leftovers or stuff that's covered in gerbil hair. But instead, what we want is good stuff to share with people to show the love of Jesus. So those can be dropped off in the foyer for the next couple of weeks. All the men in the church, we have breakfast together this coming Saturday, 8 a.m. in the fellowship hall. So if you are in seventh grade on up, you are welcome to come to the men's breakfast. We want to see our young men involved and engaged as well. And then ladies, you have a Christmas luncheon coming up Sunday, December 5th, uh, right after the services down in the fellowship hall. Uh, I can't read the little words. Um, So all the ladies are invited. There'll be a light lunch, secret, secret, secret sister reveal from 2021 and picking new secret sisters in a gift exchange. So if you have any questions, contact Shelly. And just a little bit of a teaser uh, for Christmas coming up as well. We're going to have an open house at our home. So uh, be We'll give you the date here soon, but um, be, be ready to come visit the pastor's house and make fun of how I decorate um, and uh, like toys and weird books. And so it's cool. Uh, and, and just know that uh, we're looking forward to having as many of you as will in our home this coming Christmas season. We are going to today continue our series in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, encourage you to get them opened up to today's message. Uh, once again, remember in the Bible app, you've got all of the notes available to you. So it's a great opportunity to thumb type in a few extras and then save them for later. And uh, it saves you some work. You've got it all in there. If you're using the Bible app and find us under the events tab. So <clears throat> this letter of the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church, really the heart of it is this statement to live And when Paul uses it, he says, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And then he begins to detail as he goes through exactly what it is it means to live. But first he begins by giving thanks to God for the Philippian church because they are partners in the gospel, co-workers. They are equal investors in the work of the gospel. And while Paul is giving his life, he sees the Philippian churches giving their lives as well for the sake of Jesus Christ. And Paul prays for them early in this letter. And he says, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. He longs to see them have a deeper affection for Christ, to have a a deeper affection for one another and the wisdom it takes to live this life. And then in sharing his own trials and tribulations, Paul says this, What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Paul is helping us to understand as he's continuing to unfold his writing in this letter that his focus is the good news of Jesus Christ. Regardless of the cost or the means by which it's shared, he wants to see the gospel go out. And as he continues to talk about the struggles he has... He lets the Philippian church know that for him and for all of us who believe, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, as we walk this Christian life, as we have the privilege of continuing in it, it's all about Jesus. And and then when this life is done, it gets even better. And so as amazing as it is to belong to a great church, to have uh, friends and family who trust in Jesus Christ, it only stands the promise of getting better as we enter into eternal life through Jesus Christ when this life ends. Now, a couple of quick things to remind you of regarding the city of Philippi, where the church that Paul was writing to lived. This city was uh, in, in Macedonia, in Greece area. It was the first European church. Um, It was on a very important 
road for trade and commerce, and so people would have been passing through it on a regular basis. But what was most unique about ancient Philippi is that it was a Roman colony, and everyone in it had Roman citizenship. Now, just to give you a little bit of history and background to understand, the Roman Empire was expansive. It was huge, covered most of the area, the known area in the Mediterranean and the Middle East and Northern Africa. But only certain places within the Roman Empire had the privilege of being both Roman colonies and the inhabitants of those areas being Roman citizens. And Roman citizenship was huge. It had amazing perks uh, in certain ways, I guess. It, it, it is anywhere you traveled in the Roman Empire, you would always be protected by the rules of Rome. Now, the rules applied to everyone, but Roman citizens received some special perks. If you were accused of a crime, you actually had to face trial before punishment. If you were not a Roman citizen, they could just take you out and flog you. Isn't that cool? I mean, you, you get at least an extra 20 minutes for the trial before you get flogged. Um, the, 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 as, as this unfolds, as, as, as we see the importance of Roman citizenship, you had the privilege of, if you were accused of, of um, appealing your accusation all the way up to the, the emperor himself as your judge. If, if you lived in a place like Philippi, you didn't have to pay taxes to the same extent that others who lived in the Roman Empire but were not Roman citizens had to pay. So it, it had some perks. It saved you some money. It uh, got you some privileges in the court system. And it was something that the citizens of Philippi would have been very proud of. They would have been very proud of being not just citizens of the city, but Roman citizens with the same privileges as those who lived in Italy, just outside the gates of the city of Rome itself. And so they had quite a high view of themselves and their standing in the world. And it's in this circumstance that the Apostle Paul writes what is to follow. Because here in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, where we're going to be focusing today, Paul begins to instruct the Philippian church on how to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, why is this critical? Well, remember, in this city, they are a Roman colony. I might circle that if I had it on a piece of paper somewhere. And they had Roman citizenship, critical to who they were. It was their identity. And so Paul wants to leverage their own view of self and help them to understand that not only is their Roman citizenship important, but actually their citizenship in the kingdom of God is much more important and should be of primary value in their life. So let's read together in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says this, Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you and that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. So in these, these short verses, these four verses, the Apostle Paul is trying to begin to instruct the Philippian church on what it means to live. That, that to live Christ is not just some sort of nice t-shirt thing. It's not something you get a tattoo of and you look at it and go, see my cool tattoo? Yeah, to live Christ. But instead it's a way of life. And it begins this way. He says, just one thing, or some of your translations, he might have said, only. And, and it's, the point is, one thing. Think this way. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. So the words there in Greek, it literally says, as citizens, live your life worthy. 
the, the uh, of heaven is implied, and so some of our translations include it. Others of your translations do not. And some of your translations might not even include as citizens, but just goes into saying, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. But the word that's in there is it literally means citizens. As citizens, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so Paul is taking and the identity of this Philippian church where they are really proud of their Roman citizenship. He wants them to understand that they have a citizenship in something much more important. They have a, a place in something that is much more profound. And it's the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. And that because they belong to God's kingdom, they should live a life worthy. Now, citizens, the, the word that he uses here, it literally implies a colony in a foreign land whose politics reflect those of the homeland. So Paul is using the, the same word that the Philippian church or the Philippians would use to describe themselves in relation to their Roman citizenship. And he wants them to see it in a spiritual way. So Philippi, if you walked in, you'd be like, this is like little Rome. If it, everybody here has citizenship, all the rights and privileges, they don't have to pay taxes like others in the Roman Empire. This place is amazing and it's just like Rome. And Paul wants them to get to a place where they understand that their faith and their relationship with God is to be such that they represent him the same way that they represent Rome. That when other people walk into their midst, they go, wow, this is a lot like the kingdom of heaven must be. This place is special. This place is unique. This place is important. And so like they were citizens of Rome, Paul wants them to understand they are citizens of the kingdom of God. They are representatives of their Christ in all that they are and do. And when people walk into their midst, they should look a little bit like heaven. Doesn't that sound good? That idea of, of who we are in Christ making it to where we look a little bit like heaven when we're together? That's the calling Paul is placing on the Philippian church. And it's the call that's been placed on every church since. That when people walk into our midst, they should feel like they're someplace special. As citizens, I want you to live worthy. And when he says worthy, it is he wants us to live in a manner that recognizes the value and the power and the authority of the gospel in the everyday life of the believer. Do you guys realize the gospel is critical for us when it comes to our eternal salvation? Right? I mean, apart from Jesus Christ and faith upon Him and His life, death, resurrection, and ascension, we are destined for eternal separation from God. We are destined to pay the price for our own sin. But because of Christ, when we believe on Him, our sins are forgiven, our life is renewed, and we have an eternity to look forward to. The problem is, is that too many times, that is the totality of our understanding of the gospel. But the gospel has life and meaning in every circumstance of our everyday living. The gospel applies to when you wake up and when you lie down. It applies to what you had for breakfast. It applies to what you're going to do with your lunch. It applies to nap time. It applies to watching football. It applies to going to work tomorrow. You see, this good news of Jesus Christ has an application in every aspect of life. You want to know what the application is? Read your Bible more. <laughs> Dive into God's Word. See, because there is no aspect or area of life in which God does not speak some clear standards by which we can walk and live according to the gospel. The good news of Jesus. It's not just good news for the future. It's good news for right now. That sin that you hate. That thing that you hate about yourself. The good news is that you can be free from it. 
that relationship that's broken, the good news is, is that in Christ, it can be restored. The job that you hate, the good news is that when you wake up tomorrow, you can still get up and go because Christ himself has given you a mission in that job you hate. Share him in what you do, in what you say, and how you behave. The gospel applies to every aspect of life. And Paul is challenging the Philippian church to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. In other words, you live treating the gospel like it has value, because it does. You live understanding that Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, perfect man and God incarnate, died on a cross and rose again to pay the price for you to be redeemed. To pay the price for your sin. To pay the price to open up a new world of overcoming sin and death in your everyday existence. You were bought with a price, Paul tells the church in Corinth. Therefore, glorify God. Live in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus. Now, if we're honest, and that's what we should be when we're in church. If we're honest, how many of us, don't need to raise your hand, find ourselves devaluing the gospel in any given aspect of our life? And if we're really honest, it could even be that we devalue the worth of Christ and his gospel in most of our life. And Paul is saying to the Philippian church and to us, let Jesus into every crack and crevice of who you are that you might live in a manner that's worthy. So we, we see here this beginning of a command that Paul gives, live a life worthy of the gospel. And then we're going to see the result of that that should happen in our lives. And then we're going to see what the evidence of those results actually coming to pass is. So command, what is Paul's command to us? Live as citizens worthy of the gospel. Live as citizens of the kingdom of God and live lives that are worthy of the gospel. If Jesus gave everything for you, what are you willing to submit to him? Is maybe the underlying question that drives this command. This isn't the only place Paul says such things. Ephesians chapter 4, he writes to the church in Ephesus and he says this, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. He says it also in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. This is not some outlier. Paul's telling us this should be the standard for Christian life. Live a life worthy of the gospel. So 1 Thessalonians 2.12, he says this, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, Paul gives more detail about what it means to walk worthy of God. He's going to give more detail here in Philippians. He gives it all throughout the letters that he writes that we consider to be the inspired words of God. And oftentimes it boils down to simple things like don't complain. Be faithful to the one you're married to. Raise your children up with tenderness and point them toward Jesus. Don't get drunk because that's stupid. I mean, that's just, that's the Michael translation. <laughs> but that's really what it says. He goes into more detail, but it starts in this concept. Live a life worthy of the gospel. So, 
In the uh, second half of verse 27, Paul says this, Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord. So he says the command is live a life worthy of the gospel, and this will be the result. If I come and see you, which I hope I'll be able to, or if I'm absent, which I might be because I could get beheaded at any time or I might not make it to you, I'm going to hear about you and know some things are happening in your life. This will be the result of you living as citizens worthy of the gospel. You will stand firm in one spirit. You will live in one accord. And he's not talking about the Honda. He's talking about something very specific as we move forward. So we will stand firm. We will be resolute. We will be together, fighting together like a football team, a sports team of one mind pushing toward the goal. We will stand firm and we will be of one spirit. And the implication here is that we will all be filled with and controlled by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I got to tell you, Christian living, walking worthy of the gospel is always dependent upon you submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit. It is only the power of God that lives within you that makes holiness possible. Now, you've got to submit, you've got to turn over, you've got to let Him take control, but it is His work in His hand. You can't sit there and go, I'm going to be better. You will fail. I've tried it. You work really hard, you try real hard, you fail real hard. But when you submit to the power of the Spirit, you stand firm. And he says we are to be of one accord. And once again, that's not all cramming into a single Honda. If that were the case, the church would be tiny or we would be cramped. But instead, that word in the Greek is actually, I want you to be of one mind or literally single-souled. Church, The standard for the Philippian church and by transference and and passing on the standard for all of us is that we should be so united in the power of the Spirit that we are of one soul. That we are of one mind. Now, that doesn't mean we're robots. It means we can like different things. It means we can have preferences. It even potentially means we could vote differently when we get to the ballot box. But what it doesn't mean is that we can be all having our own agenda about what church is about. The truth is is that church is about the gospel. We gather together for the sake of learning about, living out, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what we're here for. Now, if you have in the back of your mind that the church should also do wonderful arts programs, that's a fine thing, but that's not one accord or one mind Christianity. The one mind is the gospel. If we get to do arts in advancement of the gospel, great. If instead we have to neglect the arts in order to advance the gospel, hallelujah. You might think that the, the church should, I don't know, visit you when you're sick and sad. And, you know, the pastor should probably, anyway, never mind. I was about to dive off on a rant. And then, then the Holy Spirit said, stop it. See? One mind. One accord. Focus on the things that are important. Don't rant about your own feelings. Instead, we're here for Jesus. And to live out the gospel together and to share him with the world around us. Here's the result of the command. If we could all actually, even me, get our own desires in check and live lives worthy of the gospel, we would be unified in the spirit and we would be single-minded in our approach to sharing the gospel together. That's what Paul says should be the goal. And, And not just the goal, but that's the result of genuinely living lives worthy of the gospel. But it starts with each and every one of us 
as citizens in the kingdom of God, living lives worthy as individuals. And then we come together and together we are one-minded. We are of one spirit, living lives together, worthy of the gospel. And we see Jesus lifted up in the world around us. Here's, here's what he says that we'll get to see if we live out this command and we are unified We will be able to contend together for the faith of the gospel. Sorry, half the TV back there is going out. And so you might wonder why I keep having to look up there. It's not because my eyes are bad. Um, I'm not that old yet. My wife is, but I'm not. It's fine. Uh, But but half the TV is black. And you watch. I'm going to need glasses by next Sunday. God's going to strike me down. Um. I'll show you, boy. Yes, Lord. Contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your... A sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. I couldn't see the comma on the back screen. I got to get that screen changed. Paul says, Philippian church, Christians everywhere, here's the truth. When you live lives worthy of the gospel and you find yourself unified in the power of the spirit and single-minded about what you're doing together, here's what will happen. You will contend together for the faith. You will fight together for the faith. This contending, it's literally, it means to strive side by side. To be walking together for the sake of the gospel in all that we do. This is what we're meant for. We're we're not just supposed to be feeling good and singing great songs, which hopefully you walk away from church Sunday morning feeling better than you walked in. Hopefully you appreciate and, and worship as the songs are sung and played. But that's not all that we're for. We're supposed to be also gathering together and fighting for the gospel. Striving for it, pushing towards sharing the gospel with the world around us and living it out for their good and God's glory. Now, I, I got to say that Sunday school, in all honesty, is a part of that being able to learn how to contend together. Because we got to know each other before we can fight together. We, we got to care about one another before we can really fight together. So I would encourage you, if if You're just coming to service, that's great, but try Sunday school. Try and come and dig in deeper and belong harder. And see who you're fighting with and and know that you can trust them to to get you. You know, to to, to fight together for the sake of the gospel. And, And then we get to this point where we're not frightened any longer. Not frightened. Paul, literally, in talking about fear, he's saying that... um, it's the same word here used to, to describe a, a, a stampede of startled horses. And, and he's saying that the church sometimes, Philippian church and, and McMurray church there at Faith Lakeside, sometimes you all get scared and you behave like a stampede of horses that gets spooked. You don't even know why you're running. You're just running. Somebody said, look out! And you're running. And you're going and you're carried along by every wind of doctrine and change. I, 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 it's really easy to get sucked up into those things, isn't it? To get sucked up into the things that scare us. Uh, most of you probably remember Tuesday was election day. I hope as many of you as could make it voted. Wasn't a big election. Like where we were, it was, you know, magistrate and then, of course, county and, and you know, sheriff and then Jobs I'd never even heard of. I was voting for them. You know, like, what does that word even mean? Um, so we were voting for those things too. And But we, as, as American Christians, tend to get very frightened, it seems, by politics. You know, we, we get freaked out. We get overwhelmed. We get like, oh no, that, that person is probably the Antichrist. Um, and first I have to tell you, if they are the Antichrist and the, the end times are here, hallelujah, come Lord Jesus. Right now, I know that's freaky, but those of you who are younger and you might say, but my bucket list, listen, I hear you. 
I get it. When I was younger, I had all these things that, Jesus, please don't count back before this happens in my life, right? And they were usually very selfish things. But, but I got to tell you that when Jesus comes back and the new heaven and the new earth are established, it'll be even better than today. And that whole bucket list, you'll be able to experience that and so much more in a world where you don't fight sin, where you don't fight sickness, where the people who have trusted Christ and died before you, they'll all be there. Much to look forward to, which is why the Apostle Paul was able to say to live Christ, to die gain, right? But too often we start stampeding off. We respond to everything that scares us that we, and we don't trust Jesus. We don't trust in the power of the gospel. We're freaked out by every little, little tide and circumstance and, and off-putting thing. And, and we behave like a, a stampede of startled horses. And Paul says that we will get to the point where we will be side by side fighting for the gospel, and we won't be afraid anymore. We won't be afraid of losing our job because we know we've got a church that loves us and supports us. We won't be afraid of persecution because we can stand up together and say, you may take our lives, but you cannot take our forever. Right? We, we'll get to the place be, because we're able to stand side by side and we're living lives worthy of the gospel and we know the power of the Spirit within us and we are one-minded that together as a church, as, as a church family, we are able to stand up and say we're not afraid of anything anymore. As I get older, it's easier to say I'm not nearly as afraid as I was when I was younger. You know Why? Because it's like, what's the worst that could happen to me? If I die, it only gets better. Now, I don't want to suffer much. I'm soft. Right? But even if I suffer, they can't take away my eternity. And if you trust on Jesus Christ and, and you come to a place where you understand the gospel and you're living a life worthy of it and we're unified in the spirit, and we're together in one mind, and we're seeing this beautiful ability to contend for the faith blossom in our midst, we no longer will be frightened of anything that comes our way. And we won't be stupid, right? When there's a tornado warning, you go to the basement still, but you're not afraid. You're not afraid. So this is the evidence of obedience to the command, contending together. And not being frightened. So the result was that we would be of one mind. We would be spirit filled. This is the evidence that we are contending together. And we're not frightened. Now, this is an interesting word here that uh, Paul uses. He says that we will not be frightened in any way by our opponents. And I thought to myself as I was studying, who are our opponents? Now, we sometimes tend to think of things like death or sin as our opponents. But listen, death and sin were defeated on the cross and the resurrection of Christ proves that that is true. We no longer have to fear death or sin or evil because he is victorious and he is king. So those are not our opponents. But when we look at our opponents in living out this Christian life together... I saw a few and a couple that maybe you won't expect. Number one, the most powerful opponent we will face as a church are ourselves. The most powerful opponent you will face as a believer in seeking to live a life worthy of the gospel as a citizen of the kingdom is yourself. You and I, we are our most powerful opponents. And we can see this because we're the ones who have to submit to the power of the Spirit. We're the ones who have to want to live a life worthy of the gospel. We're the ones who have to want to no longer be afraid and to strive to, tend to, to contend together. We're the ones who will put a wrench in the works every time given an opportunity. We're the ones who will be selfish 
and say, the music's too loud or it's too quiet. We're the ones who will be selfish and say, the pastor preached too long or not long enough. We're the ones who will be selfish and say, the kids were too noisy or I wish there were more kids. We're the ones who will throw a wrench in the works every time because we're selfish. Because we're self-centered. Because we are about us. James, the brother of Jesus, he writes this in his letter to the church. He says, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by Satan, who laid this terrible trap for him and set it before... No. By his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. James is giving us this very clear insight. Our greatest enemy is not Satan, who he says roams around like a prow- prowls around like a, a roaring lion. Right? He, he's just he's this lion looking for a lunch, but we know he's there, and we don't have to freak out or be afraid because our God is greater. But the greatest enemy we will always face on a daily basis will be ourselves because it lies within us and our own desires that are tainted and twisted up by sin to Shanghai and sabotage the whole thing every day. And so in James 1, 13 through 15, he says, it is our own evil desires that lead to temptation. Once desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And when that happens, you and I are in no way living lives worthy of the gospel. Our unity is destroyed. We find fights. Do you know that there have been church splits over the color of the carpet? Uh, Not kidding. used to be a joke about Baptist churches splitting over things like hat racks. And then there was Hat Rack Baptist Church and No Hat Rack Baptist Church. We like to fight when we're selfish. And it is completely contrary to what we're called to in the gospel. We're supposed to be putting ourselves to death and unifying together. Now, Paul actually in Philippians is going to give us more details about what that looks like. But that's not until next week. So no one who's undergoing trial should blame God or even blame Satan. But really, it's birthed in us. Our greatest enemy is ourselves. Paul also says this in 1 Corinthians 9.27. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching, my, or preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with his own physical desires, his, the things he preferred in life. And he said even he had to bring his body under strict control and discipline it so that he would not be counted out from the power of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we are our greatest enemies. The cartoonist Walt Kelly said it this way, we have met the enemy and he is us. We have met the enemy and he is us. We are our own worst enemies. We are the ones who will destroy the unity that God longs for in us. We are the ones who will destroy Christ-like living in our own lives and the lives of others if we are not deliberate in choosing to put to death our own desires and discipline our own bodies and submit them to Christ. The second thing our opponents. It's not other people, but it's principalities and powers. It is, it is Satan and his tools. But remember, they are not top of the list. They are not the worst you have to worry about. First, look in your own heart, brother and sister, and then look to the possibility that it's satanic that we're fighting against. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces 
in the heavens. These principalities and powers, these evil forces, these cosmic powers of darkness. That almost sounded like I was mocking it. I wasn't. They are our, they are our opponent, our enemy. But guess what? We have no reason to fear even them. We're told that greater is he who is in us than the enemy that's in the world. The Holy Spirit within us, when we're walking lives worthy of the gospel, when we are filled with the Spirit, united in the Spirit, we have nothing to fear from the powers of darkness around us. For greater is he who is within us than he who is in the world. And finally, we should be clear that we do have opponents in certain wicked men and women in our world. The Apostle Paul writes this, while he would never seek to fix things on his own, you know, fix things on his own, here's what he says about someone in one of his letters. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Brothers and sisters, it is true that we do have opponents who are wicked men and women. And we must understand that it's okay to hope the best for everyone, but also deal in reality. We should be, according to Jesus, as wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves. In other words, let's not get duped, brothers and sisters. Let's not expect that a politician can fix the world, no matter how flashy they are. Let's not expect that everyone will be kind, but instead understand there are some wicked people in the world. But it's not our judge, job to cast judgment. Instead, we leave them in the hands of a just God. But they will do, at times, great harm to us. And this is the Apostle Paul talking about Alexander the coppersmith. He doesn't say to Timothy, I'd like you to hunt him down and smack him in the head. But he says, listen, Alexander has hurt me, but I trust in God's justice. And I am not afraid of Alexander, but I deal with him realistically. He is not a good man, is really what Paul is telling us. He's someone to be avoided. And it's okay for us to see that at times there are people in our lives who are our opponents. And so what is it that we're supposed to do with our opponents? Do not be afraid. Love them. That was a good one. I heard it from the back. But don't be afraid of them. Don't cower. Don't give up. Don't give in. Instead, trust in the hand of God in your own sinful desires, in your battle against Satan and his dominion, and also in your battle against the wicked people in your life who are pushing and oppressing. Now, we see that as an individual thing, but also as a church. Listen, we shouldn't be afraid of the sin that we struggle with. We can overcome by the power of the Spirit within us. We should not be afraid of Satan. He's got nothing on this church. There is nothing he can do to us when we walk in the power of Christ. And we also should not be afraid of wicked people. I've got some politicians on a list. You might as well. We may not even have the same lists. But guess what? It's not our job to either be afraid of them or, or bring punishment to their lives. Instead, it's our job to say, we are not afraid of you. Our God is bigger. He will bring justice and he will keep his people. And that is what Paul wants us to get to, is this, this point where we understand that we are able to fight together against what's wrong. And able to no longer be afraid of the things that used to scare us, but instead to genuinely rejoice in our unity in Christ. Here's how he ends. For it has been, I love this, granted to you on Christ's behalf. The word granted to you, it's the same concept as grace. Grace is a free gift from God that you don't deserve. So he's saying... It's a free gift from God given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, which we know is a free gift that comes only by grace through faith, not by works so that no man can boast. But it's been freely gifted to each and every one of us 
the privilege also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Brothers and sisters, it is so critical for us to understand that this Christian life is one where we are supposed to be living lives worthy of the gospel, unified in the spirit, one-minded in the nature of our gathering together and serving and loving others, fighting for the gospel, not afraid of our enemies, and understanding that it is a privilege when we suffer. It's a privilege to suffer for the sake of Jesus. Now, you might say, and I would probably say as well, Lord, can I have less privilege? You've, you've gifted far too greatly, Lord. Please take back some of what you've given. Can you imagine some of our brothers and sisters in Christ in other countries where they're genuinely, deeply persecuted, both physically and emotionally and spiritually? How should we not count the light and temporary sufferings that most of us face as a privilege for the sake of the church, for the sake of Christ? Paul is saying that you are struggling in the same way that I'm struggling. In other words, your suffering proves the value of the gospel. Your suffering brings its truth to bear on more and more people's lives. You're suffering well. Not suffering and complaining, but suffering and submitting and contending and loving proves the power of the gospel in your life and in potentially in the lives of all who would believe. Jesus says it this way in John 15, verses 20 and 21. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. You see, Jesus promised, if you're faithful to me, you will be persecuted. Why? Because I was persecuted. And they're going to do it because you bear my name. So, the challenge in this passage, the things that we've been encouraged to live out, number one is to live as gospel-worthy citizens. You were bought with a high price. You have been given great privileges. Your sins are forgiven. You are declared righteous in the eyes of God because of what Jesus did for you. This citizenship has eternal rewards waiting for you. Live in a manner that's worthy. And as we live individually as gospel-worthy citizens, together let's be unified in spirit and focus. You know, it's something we've been working on doing is from preaching to teaching to everything is to get everybody unified on one focus. To know God and to make him known. For you and I to grow deeper in our faith that we might take that very same faith and proclaim it to everyone we meet. Unified in the, the Holy Spirit, knowing that we are completely dependent upon him for any of this and focused on sharing the truth of the gospel. Fighting together for that very same gospel and not afraid. We need to stop being afraid. We need to stop being like horses who are spooked and run off. Stop being reactionary. Stop being, oh my goodness. And instead say, it's all good in Christ. For me, is to live, to die would be gain. Because as we do this together, we will continue to experience the power of our salvation and the privilege of suffering together for Christ. So all of this together, all of this together, I hope it brings you to the same place where it's beginning to bring me as I study and, and, and have unfolded this to an understanding that this Christian life, it should be so much more than just saying someday in the sweet by and by, I'll see Jesus face to face. 
but instead that today is the day we're supposed to live the gospel. Today is the day we are to be unified in the Spirit. Today is the day we're supposed to be focusing together on sharing Jesus. Today is the day where we begin to to fight together for the sake of the gospel, supporting one another, celebrating when somebody witnesses to, to a stranger, celebrating when somebody comes to salvation, celebrating when new life is born out of death, and not afraid of the world around us. Stop being afraid. First of all, we've got each other. And if you look around the room and that's not encouraging, we've got Jesus too. Right? We've got Jesus. Now I got to tell you, when I look around the room, I'm encouraged when I see my brothers and sisters in Christ. And remembering in all of this, we will experience salvation and we will have the privilege of experiencing suffering as well. For to me, or for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul is slowly unfolding this for us. What does it mean to live Christ? It means living lives as citizens worthy of the gospel. That we might be unified, that we might be spirit-filled, and that we might be fighting for the faith no longer afraid. May it be so in all of us as individuals, and then may, be it, may it be so as Faith Lakeside grows in Christ together. Let's pray, and then the worship team will come and close us out with our last song of the morning. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time. We thank you for giving us so very much. But more than anything, we thank you for your son, Jesus. For it's in him we receive the gospel, this good news. And so we confess our faith in him this morning. We trust on him as our Lord and Savior. And as we do so, may we begin to live lives worthy of the gospel. Help us to overcome the sins that so easily entangle. Father, this morning I pray that there would be freedom from pornography. I I pray pray that there would be freedom from from obsession with finances. I pray that we we would all experience freedom from, from selfishness. Father, that you would begin to grant us freedom from from substances that control us that you would begin to help us to to trust your hand and bring the gospel to bear in our marriages in our families so that we can find joy together and peace together father that that we would be able to find contentment in our jobs as we live lives worthy of your gospel that we would understand that Love it or hate it, it's, it's our mission field. And it's an opportunity to contend for the faith. So many little areas where, where your truth can apply to our lives. Help us to find it. Convict us, Holy Spirit. And then may we trust you for the change so that we can contend together and no longer be afraid. Thank you, Father God, for your love, your grace, your word, and your peace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your life death, your resurrection, and your continual intervention. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling us and making change possible. Unify us and send us out to contend. In the name of Jesus, we pray this morning. Amen. Let's sing together.
Call these bones to live. Call these lungs to sing once again. I will praise Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear. Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear. Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. Your name is a light that the shadows can't deny. Your name cannot be overcome. Your name is a light forever lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus is so powerful because what he has done is so valuable. May we live lives as citizens worthy of the gospel, unified in spirit, of one mind, contending for the faith, not afraid, instead living and suffering for the sake of the gospel. God bless you all this week. May you know the presence of Christ richly in all that you do. May you be able to find ways to apply the gospel to every aspect of your moment this week. Love to see you guys. We've got Bible study tomorrow night at 7. Ladies, 
meet Wednesday night at 6.30 down in the women's ministry room. Students, 7th through 12th grade, Thursday nights, you guys are in the youth room, 6.30, and uh, of course, Sunday school next Sunday. So just keep, keep being citizens who live lives worthy of the gospel. God bless you all. See you throughout the week and next Sunday.